0: Daredevil Dick hears the alarm at five o'clock and leaves his couch very cautiously. He would like, before he leaves the house, to go to his mother's door, if it were only to breathe a prayer upon the threshold. He would like to go to his uncle's bedside to give one farewell look at the kind face. But he has promised to be very cautious and to awaken no one. So he steals quietly out through the drawing-room window, the same window by which he entered so strangely "'the preceding evening, into the chill morning, dark as night yet. "'He pauses in the little garden walk for a minute while he lights his pipe "'and looks up at the shrouded windows of the familiar house. "'God bless her,' he mutters, "'and God reward, that good old man, for giving a scamp like me "'the chance of redeeming his honor. "'There is a thick fog, but no rain. "'Daredevil Dick knows his way so well,' "'that neither fog nor darkness are any hindrance to him, "'and he trudges on with a cheery step "'and his pipe in his mouth "'towards the Slopperton railway station. "'The station is half an hour's walk out of the town, "'and when he reaches it, the clocks are striking six. "'Learning that the train will not start for half an hour, "'he walks up and down the platform, "'looking with his handsome face and shabby dress, "'rather conspicuous.' Two or three trains for different destinations start while he is waiting on the platform, and several people stare at him as he strides up and down, his hands in his pockets, and his weather-beaten hat slouched over his eyes, for he does not want to be known by any slopperton people yet a while, till his position is better. And when one man, with whom he had been intimate before he left the town, seemed to recognize him, and approached as if to speak to him, "'Richard turned abruptly on his heel "'and crossed to the other side of the station. "'If he had known that such a little incident as that "'could have a dark and dreadful influence on his life, "'surely he would have thought himself foredoomed "'and set apart for a cruel destiny. "'He strolled into the refreshment room, "'took a cup of coffee, "'changed a sovereign in paying for his ticket, "'bought a newspaper, "'seated himself in a second-class carriage,' "'and in a few minutes was out of Slopperton. "'There was only one other passenger in the carriage, "'a commercial traveller, "'and Richard and he smoked their pipes "'in defiance of the guards at the stations they passed. "'When did ever Daredevil Dick quail before any authorities? "'He had faced all Bow Street, "'Chaffed Marlborough Street, out of countenance, "'and had kept the station-house awake all night singing "'We Won't Go Home Till Morning.' It is a rather dull journey at the best of times from Slopperton to Gardenford, and on this dark, foggy November morning, of course, duller than usual. It was still dark at half-past six. The station was lighted with gas, and there was a little lamp in the railway carriage, but for which the two travellers would not have seen each other's faces. Richard looked out of the window for a few minutes, got up a little conversation with his fellow traveller, which soon flagged, for the young man was rather out of spirits at leaving his mother directly after their reconciliation, and then, being sadly at a loss to amuse himself, took out his uncle's letter to the Gardenford merchant and looked at the superscription. The letter was not sealed, but he did not take it from the envelope. "'If he said any good of me, it's a great deal more than I deserve,' said Richard to himself. "'But I'm young yet,' and there's plenty of time to redeem the past. Time to redeem the past, oh poor Richard. He twisted the letter about in his hands, lighted another pipe, and smoked till the train arrived at the Gardenford station. Another foggy November day had set in. If Richard Marwood had been a close observer of men and manners, he might have been rather puzzled by the conduct of a short, thick-set man, shabbily dressed, who was standing on the platform when he descended from the carriage. The man was evidently waiting for someone to arrive by this train. And as surely that someone had arrived, for the man looked perfectly satisfied when he had scanned, with a glance marvelously rapid, the face of every passenger who alighted. But who this someone was, for whom the man was waiting, it was rather difficult to discover, "'he did not speak to anyone, nor approach anyone, "'nor did he appear to have any particular purpose in being there "'after that one rapid glance at all the travellers. "'A very minute observer might certainly have detected in him "'a slight interest in the movements of Richard Marwood, "'and when that individual left the station, "'the stranger strolled out after him "'and walked a few paces behind him down the back street "'that led from the station to the town.' Presently he came up closer to him, and a few minutes afterwards suddenly and unceremoniously hooked his arm into that of Richard. "'Mr. Richard Marwood, I think,' he said. "'I'm not ashamed of my name,' replied Daredevil Dick. "'And that is my name. Perhaps you'll oblige me with yours, since you're so uncommonly friendly.' And the young man tried to withdraw his arm from that of the stranger." But the stranger was of an affectionate turn of mind, and kept his arm tightly hooked in his. "'Oh, never mind my name,' he said. "'You'll learn my name fast enough, I dare say.' But he continued, as he caught a threatening look in Richard's eye. "'If you want to call me anything, why, call me Jinks.' "'Very well, then, Mr. Jinks. "'Since I didn't come to Gardenford to make your acquaintance, "'and as now—' "'Having made your acquaintance, "'I can't say I much care about cultivating it further. "'Why I wish you a very good morning.' "'And as he said this, "'Richard wrenched his arm from that of the stranger "'and strode two or three paces forward. "'Not more than two or three paces, though, "'for the affectionate Mr. Jinks caught him again by the arm, "'and a friend of Mr. Jinks, "'who had also been lurking outside the station "'when the train arrived,' "'happening to cross over from the other side of the street "'at this very moment, caught hold of his other arm. "'And poor Daredevil Dick, firmly held by these two new-found friends, "'looked with a puzzled expression from one to the other. "'Come, come,' said Mr. Jinks, in a soothing tone. "'The best you can do is to take it quietly and come along with me.' "'Oh, I see,' said Richard. "'Here's a spoke in the wheel of my reform.' "'It's those men, I suppose, have got wind of my coming down here. "'Show us your writ, Mr. Jinks, and tell us at whose suit it is, "'and for what amount. "'I've got a considerable sum about me, and can settle it on the spot.' "'Oh, you have, have you?' "'Mr. Jinks was so surprised by this last speech of Richard's "'that he was obliged to take off his hat "'and rub his hand through his hair before he could recover himself.' "'Oh,' he continued, staring at Richard. "'Oh, you've got a considerable sum of money about you, have you? "'Well, my friend, you're either very green or you're very cheeky, "'and all I can say is, take care how you commit yourself. "'I'm not a sheriff's officer, and I ain't going to arrest you for debt.' "'Oh, very well, then,' said Dick. "'Perhaps you and your affectionate friend "'will be so very obliging as to let me go. "'I'll leave you a lock of my hair,' "'as you've taken such a wonderful fancy to me.' "'And with a powerful effort he shook the two strangers off him. "'But Mr. Jinks caught him again by the arm, "'and Mr. Jinks's friend, producing a pair of handcuffs, "'locked them on Richard's wrists with railroad rapidity. "'Now, don't you try it on,' said Mr. Jinks. "'I didn't want to use these, you know, if you'd have come quietly. "'I've heard you belong to a respectable family.' "'so I thought I wouldn't ornament you "'with these here objects of bigotry. "'But it seems there's no help for it, "'so come along to the station. "'We shall catch the 8.30 train "'and be in Slopperton before ten. "'The inquest won't come on till tomorrow.' "'Richard looked at his wrists, "'from his wrists to the faces of the two men, "'with an utterly hopeless expression of wonder. "'Am I mad,' he said, "'or drunk or dreaming?' "'What have you put these cursed things upon me for? "'Why do you want to take me back to Slopperton? "'What inquest? Who's dead?' "'Mr. Jinx put his head on one side "'and contemplated the prisoner with the eye of a connoisseur. "'Don't he come to the innocent Dodge Stunning,' he said, "'rather to himself than to his companion, "'who, by the by, throughout the affair, had never once spoken. "'Don't he do it beautiful?' Wouldn't he be a first-rate actor up at the Victoria Theatre in London? Wouldn't he be the prime and the suspected one, or Gonzalvo the guiltless, said Mr. Jinks with intense admiration? He'd be worth his £2.10 a week, and a clear half-benefit every month to any manager as is. As Mr. Jinx made these complimentary remarks, he and his friend walked on. Richard, puzzled, bewildered and unresisting, "'walked between them, towards the railway station. "'But presently Mr. Jinks condescended "'to reply to his prisoner's questions, in this wise. "'You want to know what inquest? "'You want to know who's dead? "'Why, your uncle is the gent as has been murdered. "'You want to know why we're going to take you back to Slopperton? "'Well, because we've got a warrant to arrest you "'upon suspicion of having committed the murder. "'My uncle?' "'Murdered!' cried Richard, "'with a face that now for the first time since his arrest "'betrayed anxiety and horror. "'For throughout his interview with Mr. Jenks "'he had never once seemed frightened. "'His manner had expressed only utter bewilderment of mind. "'Yes, murdered, his throat cut from ear to ear. "'It cannot be,' said Richard. "'There must be some horrid mistake here. "'My uncle, Montague Harding, murdered!' "'I bade him good-bye at twelve last night in perfect health. "'And this morning he was found murdered in his bed, "'with the cabinet in his room broken open, "'and rifled of a pocket-book, "'known to contain upwards of three hundred pounds. "'Why, he gave me that pocket-book last night. "'He gave it to me. "'I have it here in my breast-pocket.' "'You'd better keep that story for the coroner,' said Mr. Jinks. "'Perhaps he'll believe it.' "'I must be mad. I must be mad,' said Richard. "'They had by this time reached the station, "'and Mr. Jinks, having glanced into two or three carriages "'of the train about to start, selected one of the second class "'and ushered Richard into it. "'He seated himself by the young man's side, "'while his silent and unobtrusive friend took his place opposite. "'The guard locked the door, and the train started.' Mr. Jinx's quiet friend was exactly one of those people adapted to pass in a crowd. He might have passed in a hundred crowds, and no one of the hundreds of people in any of those hundred crowds would have glanced aside to look at him. You could only describe him by negative. He was neither very tall nor very short. He was neither very stout nor very thin, neither dark nor fair, neither ugly nor handsome. But... "'just such a medium between the two extremities of each as to be utterly commonplace and unnoticeable. "'If you looked at his face for three hours together, "'you would in those three hours find only one thing in that face "'that was any way out of the common. "'That one thing was the expression of the mouth. "'It was a compressed mouth with thin lips which tightened "'and drew themselves rigidly together when the man thought.' and the man was almost always thinking. And this was not all. For when, he thought, most deeply, the mouth shifted in a palpable degree to the left side of his face. This was the only thing remarkable about the man, except, indeed, that he was dumb, but not deaf, having lost the use of his speech during a terrible illness which he had suffered in his youth. Throughout Richard's arrest, he had watched the proceedings with unswerving intensity— and he now sat opposite the prisoner, thinking deeply, with his compressed lips drawn on one side. The dumb man was a mere scrub, one of the very lowest of the police force, a sort of outsider, an employee of Mr. Jinks, the Gardenford detective, but he was useful, quiet, and steady, and above all, as his patron said, he was to be relied on because he could not talk. He could talk, though, in his own way, and he began to talk presently in his own way to Mr. Jinx. He began to talk with his fingers, with a rapidity which seemed marvelous. The fingers were more active than clean, and made rather a dirty alphabet. Oh, hang it, said Mr. Jinx, after watching him for a moment. You must do it a little slower, if you want me to understand. I am not an electric telegraph. The scrub nodded and began again with his fingers very slowly. This time Richard too watched him, for Richard knew this dumb alphabet. He had talked whole reams of nonsense with it in days gone by to a pretty girl at a boarding school between whom and himself there had existed a platonic attachment to say nothing of a high wall and broken glass bottles. Richard watched the dirty alphabet, First, two grimy fingers laid flat upon the dirty palm. N. Next, the tip of the grimy forefinger of the right hand upon the tip of the grimy third finger of the left hand. O. The next letter is T, and the man snaps his fingers. The word is finished. Not. Not what? Richard found himself wondering with an intense eagerness, which even in the bewildered state of his mind, surprised him. The dumb man began another word. G-U-I-L. Mr. Jinx cut him short. Not guilty, not fiddlesticks. What do you know about it? I should like to know. Where did you get your experience? Where did you get your sharp practice? What school have you been formed in? I wonder, that you can come out so positive with your opinion. And what's the value you put your opinion at, I wonder? I should be glad to hear what you'd take for your opinion. Mr. Jinx uttered the whole of this speech with the most intense sarcasm. For Mr. Jinx was a distinguished detective, and prided himself highly on his acumen, and was therefore very indignant that his sub and scrub should dare to express an opinion. "'My uncle,' Murdered, said Richard, my good, kind, generous-hearted uncle. Murdered in cold blood. Oh, it is too horrible. The scrub's mouth was very much on one side as Richard muttered this, half to himself. And I am suspected of the murder. Well, you see, said Mr. Jinx, there's two or three things tell pretty strong against you. Why were you in such a hurry this morning to cut and run to Gardenford? "'My uncle had recommended me to a merchant's office in that town. "'See, here is the letter of introduction. Read it.' "'No, it ain't my place,' said Mr. Jenks. "'The letter's not sealed, I see. "'But I mustn't read it. "'Or if I do, I stand the chance of getting snubbed "'and lectured for going beyond my duty. "'However, you can show it to the coroner. "'I'm sure I should be very glad to see you clear yourself, "'for I've heard you belong to one of our good old country families.' then it ain't quite the thing to hang such as you. Poor Richard! His reckless words of the night before came back to him. I wonder they don't hang such fellows as I am. And now, says Jinx, as I should like to make all things comfortable, if you're willing to come along quietly with me and my friend here, why, I'll move those bracelets, because they are not quite so ornamental as they're sometimes useful, and as I'm going to light my pipe... "'Why, if you like to blow a cloud, too, you can.' "'With this Mr. Jinx unlocked and removed the handcuffs, "'and produced his pipe and tobacco. "'Richard did the same, "'and took from his pocket a match-box "'in which there was only one match. "'That's awkward,' said Jinx, "'for I haven't a light about me.' "'They filled the two pipes and lighted the one match. "'Now, all this time... Richard had held his uncle's letter of introduction in his hand, and when there was some little difficulty in lighting the tobacco from the expiring Lucifer, he, without a moment's thought, held the letter over the flickering flame and from the burning paper lighted his pipe. In a moment he remembered what he had done. The letter of introduction, the one piece of evidence in his favor. He threw the blazing paper on the ground and stamped on it, but in vain, "'In spite of all his efforts, a few black ashes alone remained. "'The devil must have possessed me,' he exclaimed. "'I have burnt my uncle's letter.' "'Well,' says Mr. Jinks, "'I've seen many dodges in my time, "'and I've seen a many knowing cards. "'But if that isn't the neatest dodge, "'and if you ain't the knowingest card I ever did see, blow me. "'I tell you that letter was in my uncle's hand, "'written to his friend,' The merchant at Gardenford, and in it he mentions having given me the very money you say has been stolen from his cabinet. Oh, the letter was all that, was it? And you've lighted your pipe with it. You'd better tell that little story before the coroner, it will be so very convincing to the jury. The scrub, with his mouth very much to the left, spells out again the two words not guilty. Oh, says Mr. Jinks. You mean to stick to your opinion, do you? Now you've formed it. Upon my word, you're too clever for a country-town practice. I wonder they don't send you up at Scotland Yard with your talents. You'd be at the top of the tree in no time, I've no doubt. During the journey, the thick November fog had been gradually clearing away, and at this very moment the sun broke out with a bright and sudden light, that shone full upon the threadbare coat-sleeve of Daredevil Dick. Not guilty, cried Mr. Jinks, with sudden energy. Not guilty? Why, look here. I'm blessed if his coat-sleeve isn't covered with blood. Yes, on the shabby worn-out coat the sunlight revealed dark and ghastly stains, and stamped and branded by those hideous marks as a villain and a murderer, Richard Marwood re-entered his native town.